This is Small Talk with 101 ESPN's Michelle Smallman. Welcome to Episode 2 of Small Talk. I'm your host, Michelle Smallman. And before we get started, I just want to thank everyone for all of your support for the first episode. Obviously, it's something new. It's a new endeavor for me. And I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the people that listened, that downloaded, especially on Apple Podcasts, the people that subscribed, rated, and reviewed. That's how we're going to get this thing going. So thank you so much. Later in this episode, we are going to visit with one of my favorites, ESPN Sports Center anchor, L. Duncan. But before we do that, we've got to bring back Tommy Freeze Pops. He's kind of my go producer shadow producer here and we're gonna do three random things hey tom how are you thanks for being What's my up? shadow producer of course you know, i would want no other job in my life awesome okay well let's let's do three random things that seemed to work well last time and yeah. to, to be honest with you there's a lot of random things that flow through this brain so let's roll through this okay number one I was at a wedding this past weekend in Wisconsin, and I'm hanging out with my friends, most of them from Chicago, from Illinois, but a lot of them went to various Big Ten schools, and we started having this debate. Is Wisconsin the crown jewel of the Midwest, okay? And, you know, then we started saying, like, which states are actually in the Midwest? So I Googled it and pulled up Encyclopedia Britannica, shout out. I mean, everyone back in the day had an Encyclopedia Britannica. I feel like it's a really you know, unimportant thing yeah, these it's days. the OG Wikipedia. Totally. Actually, the other day I was taking a walk in my neighborhood and, you know, when people move, they leave things on the curb. There was a full encyclopedia set on the curb and it really hurt my heart. Oh, my God. That goes for like 150, 200 bucks. You gotta grab that. It's vintage now. Okay, but according to Encyclopedia Britannica, here are the states that make, that comprise the Midwest. Okay. Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, North Dakota, Ohio, South Dakota, and Wisconsin. So my friends and I basically whittled this down to three states that could probably even be in the conversation, Illinois, Michigan, and Wisconsin. So obviously I'm from Illinois, went to Illinois. Chicago's amazing. Immediately was like, I I got a ride for Illinois. Some of my friends were saying Wisconsin, Madison's awesome, Milwaukee, you've got you know, Lake Geneva, which is where I was. And then other people were like, oh my God, Michigan, so underrated, crown jewel. So I did a Twitter poll and- a lot of people voted, and it was like 80% that said, no, Wisconsin is not the crown jewel of the Midwest. So I've been to actually quite a few Midwest cities. Uh, unfortunately, St. Louis is not one of them, but well, been to Chicago, been to Cleveland, been to Detroit. Um, I feel like Illinois has to be the crown jewel because of Chicago, right? I mean, although Chicago is not really like Midwesty as as far as the Midwest goes, right? Like Cleveland is much more of like a accurate representation of the Midwest, like blue collar, kind of a smaller city, where Chicago, you know, could be on either coast and you wouldn't it, it wouldn't be out of place. So I feel like Chicago is the move, but at the same time, you know, having been to Cleveland, it's very it's very Midwest aesthetic to me. So I, I, I don't know. I feel like I go with Illinois just because of Chicago. Although I realize that Illinois is an enormous state, and there's a lot more to the state than Chicago. I don't know. I mean, you're you're from the region. What do you think? I tend to go Illinois. I tend to lean Illinois, but you know, I'm biased. Like I'm from there, so it's hard to say. But you know, then this conversation evolves into what actually, you know goes into what are the characteristics that make it the crown jewel is it overall state is it biggest city is it what you think about when you think of the midwest i don't know it's a debate that i think could really rage on for quite some time yeah that's interesting because the midwest is i don't know i just think small town and i think like oh hi how's it going like oh how's the weather outside today like oh 
you know, just talking to my mailman for 10 minutes outside. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's kind of where I go when I think Midwest, but then I think, oh, I mean, you got to go with the best place to go in the Midwest and that's Chicago. I mean, that's probably a controversial thing to say, but I mean, that's the best place to go, right? I mean, I wouldn't argue that one. Okay, so speaking of controversial, let's move on to random thing number two. So my cousin and I were on a walk yesterday, and she tells me about this thing that she saw on Twitter from one of her friends. A big debate. Speaking of debates, big debate. <laughs> and the debate is, do you wet your toothbrush before you put toothpaste on it, or do you put your toothbrush on, toothpaste on your toothbrush dry? And I think there's one very clear answer here. Tom? Go ahead. Yeah, you have to put your toothpaste on the toothbrush before, and then you put water on it. Incorrect. You have to wet your toothbrush before you put toothpaste on it. You no. have to. What are you, serial killer? Like, what do you mean you put your toothpaste <laughs> on a dried toothbrush? That is insane I, to me. I've never even seen that or thought that that was a possibility. I have n- I Same. I mean, maybe this is a regional thing. I, I, I was raised that... When you go to brush your teeth, you go to the toothbrush holder, you pick up your toothbrush, you squeeze out toothpaste onto it, you rinse some water over the toothbrush with the toothpaste on it, and then you start brushing your teeth. And then when you're done, you rinse off your toothbrush, you rinse out your mouth, and you go on with your day. That's kind of the routine. I don't... Why would you... What? What's the rationale of putting water on top, uh, below the toothpaste? Don't you want the toothpaste to be like a little moist when you put it in your mouth? So I guess to me it's like a water sandwich almost. You need water to activate the toothpaste <laughs> to get the correct foam for a really comfortable brushing. So if you put water on the toothbrush first, it's already a little wet. Then you add the toothpaste and then put water on it again, it's getting it on both sides, therefore creating the acceptable amount of foam for a comfortable brushing. So you're putting on water before, then the paste, then you put water on it again, then you put it in your mouth? I'm double watering it, yes. Okay, so you you create a water sandwich, a a toothpaste sandwich with water bread is what you're doing. Essentially, and I thought that everybody did that. Okay, see, that's that's an interesting take. Um, No, I... See, I feel like if I put water on the on the bristles before, the, then when I put the toothpaste on, they'll it, it'll like melt into the the toothbrush. Like uh, like the the toothpaste will get stuck in the bristles of the of the brush. You know, you kind of just want it to be right on top there, so you can you can just get it right on the teeth. That's why you just do a quick little spritz of water on top, and then you and then you get to work there. You know, it just seems like it, the bristles would be too rough. I don't know, but I, I feel like if, if the toothpaste is in, is in there, then you've got to kind of brush harder. Whereas if you have it right on top there, you're, you're, it's like you're polishing the teeth, you know? I don't know. It just seems like if it's, <laughs> the bristles aren't wet enough, you could be looking at gun damage later in your life. And who wants that? <laughs> right? I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. This is how I was raised. I've never had this conversation with anyone ever. So I don't know how other people do it. I know that's how my parents taught me and probably how my siblings do it. Uh, I don't know. Ask your uh, friends. Let's find okay, out. I yeah. want to I, I take stock in this and see what people do because my cousin and I were both on the same page. Like, why wouldn't anyone wet the toothbrush before adding the toothpaste? I don't know. No, we clearly know how the Smallman family does things. Clearly, clearly. Okay, random thing number three. As we get closer to the NBA Finals, there's been a lot of talk about the Cavs, Celtics, uh, you know, whatever, Rockets. I'm sick of talking about the Warriors for several reasons. But number one reason I'm sick of talking about the Warriors is because I think 
the nickname Hamptons Five is the worst nickname in sports. Oh, I my God. I can't express how much I hate it. It sounds like a Brooks Brothers boy band. Like, <laughs> it literally sounds like five dudes wearing boat shoes and, like, you know, little sh- gingham shorts with lobsters on them, <laughs> like, crooning to me on a boat. I hate it so much. So I hate the nickname as well, uh, but my real like main hate towards the nickname is towards the S at the at the end of the word Hampton. Like, why does it? Ha- I know that the Hamptons is what it's called, and like I get why they call it the nickname. They all met in the Hamptons to like right. recruit KD, blah yeah, blah blah. To but like Hamptons Five sounds dumb. Like, just call it the Hampton Five, and we'll all kind of get it. But they're called it, the Hamptons because I know, Hampton, but like the you know. S. The S there sounds awkward to me. Like adding the Hamptons Five, it just doesn't like roll off the tongue. It's not like it's not like a nickname that you have because it's convenient to say or it's catchy. Like that's not even catchy. It's it's clunky, and I I, I hate the nickname off the bat. And also, like I really liked when before KD was on the team, and it was Harrison Barnes in that role, and they would call it like the death lineup. When yes. it was, you know, those five guys where, you know, they could switch on everyone. And that when the Warriors were still fun, essentially, right? Uh, you know, the, the death lineup was awesome. You know, oh, man, they're bringing in the death lineup. So in my head, whenever I, you know, that lineup is there, you know, KD is in instead of Harrison Barnes, I still call it the death lineup. Like, oh, my God, the death lineup's in. And then it brings me back to the Celtics unsuccessfully wooing Kevin Durant on the Hamptons that summer, and it just really puts me in a bad place. So it makes you bitter. It, I, I hate the nickname as well. I, it's awful, and we've heard it a lot, obviously, this postseason with the success they've had. But uh, I, I don't know. Hopefully the Rockets give them some trouble because I'm, I'm sick of the Warriors. I'm so sick of the Warriors. And I think the Celtics have a better shot against the Rockets. Let's just be honest here. I'm sick of them too, Tom. Well, this was so fun. Thank you again for being my, what are we calling it, shadow producer, ghost yeah. producer. There we go. Shadow producer of Small Talk. It's a high honor. Uh, I love it. Well, we'll talk to you next week. All right. Bye, Michelle. See ya. And coming up next, I'm so excited. We are going to be joined by my girl crush, ESPN Sports Center anchor, L. Duncan. Take 101 ESPN on the go with the all-new 101 Sports app. See the latest videos, listen to podcasts, and join the conversation with the 101 Sports app. So most of you know that I worked at ESPN for almost three years. And when people ask me about ESPN, they undoubtedly want to know about all of the personalities there. And I always tell people that if I had a number one draft pick, if ESPN was a draft, that other than Sarudis, who's my A1 since day one, that it would be L. Duncan. She would be my number one overall draft pick. So. Really, Michelle? <laughs> yes. So I'm oh, so man. excited to have L. Duncan as my first, I guess, official guest here on Small Talk, my girl crush. That has been, t- oh my God, I'm so excited because I totally girl crushed on you too. Like, you don't understand. I love, like, I work with a lot of women, obviously, but most of them are on air. And I just love a boss who's just, like, behind the board, controlling things, pulling the strings. I mean, there is nothing hotter to me in the world than, like, a woman that is totally in control. And you are so in command. And so it's an absolute honor to get to be on your podcast, girl. Oh, my God. Well, thank you. I should put that in my bio. Like, Elle Duncan thinks I'm a hot boss. (laughs) 
<laughs> H-A-W-T, by the way. Oh, I love it. And B-A-W-S-E also, by the way. Hello. <laughs> okay, well, the reason that you'd be my number one overall draft pick, other than being just an awesome person, is that I feel like you can talk about anything. You can deep dive into sports. We can talk about pop culture. Like, for instance, I was driving to Chicago a couple weeks ago, and I always listen to the Will Kane show. Shout out, Will Kane. Shout out, Saruti. Shout out, Bubba. And I'm listening to you and Michael Eves, and you guys are talking about rap snacks. Yes. Which I think is such an underrated topic. I don't know why more people aren't talking about wrap snacks. And I also think that there should be sports snacks, like akin to wrap snacks, where it should be nicknames of, of athletes, you know? Yeah. That's a fantastic idea. I mean, have you ever actually had a wrap snack, though? Because I will say this, Michelle, I think as much as it's fun to talk about the names and joke about them, they're kind of butt. Like, they really don't taste that good. Um, and so I wonder if we could put a little bit more focus and onus on our sports snacks and making them as delicious as the names are. You I know? agree. Like I back so I haven't had the new wave wrap snacks like the Migos and the Trinas of the world, but in the day I had the Young Jock Honeydew snacks. Oh God, Young Jock <laughs> had some wrap snacks. Wait a minute, I didn't even know about the the OG wrap snacks. Oh. I only knew about the new wave. I had like first wave wrap snacks. By the way, yes, the Young Jock Honeydew. Sorry to break it to everyone, not that great. You know, not exactly the snack I would prefer. But this was back when like Nelly had pimp juice, and you could actually drink pimp juice. We also we're snacking here in the Lou on Young Jack Honeydew snacks. It was going down. <laughs> That's fantastic. And you're going to pay for that when you're like 65 years old and your doctor is like, why is your body so effed up? And you're going to be like, crunk juice, pimp juice, and wrap snacks. So, I know. Absolutely. Know, but it's all good. You know, YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I know you're expecting, and we're going to end the interview. I want to talk to you about what type of parent you're going to be at the end. But our, I like love to talk about snacks with anyone that will listen. So what are you craving now that you're pregnant? Is there anything that you have to have on a daily basis? Honestly, I'm super boring. I don't have a, like crazy cravings. I kind of eat exactly the same as I did before. Um I'm craving a lot of like mango, but please don't let you get like, don't let that, you know, fool you into thinking I'm being like super healthy and one of those like ladies that's like all organic because my baby needs it. Um, because in my mind, all organic has also included copious amounts of five guys. <laughs> I have had more five. I never had five guys before I got pregnant. I really what? don't eat red meat. No, I know. Seriously, never. And I don't, I don't really eat red meat. And I was craving a burger um, maybe about three months ago. My husband's like, we can go to the five guys. It's right near our house. And Obviously, I fell into a food coma after, but ever since, I've just been like, you know, mainlining five guys. I think it's really good. So if I have a craving, it's for, you know, 3,000 calorie burgers right now. And they just opened a Shake Shack, Michelle. I feel like that's probably one of the worst parts of you leaving is that here in Hartford, they just put up a Shake Shack. And I feel like that would have been a place where we could have made googly eyes across the table from each other and had a delicious burger and shake, but you're gone. So, um... So that's going to be my next venture, and I'm going to do all of this before I have the baby because afterwards um, it's right back to, you know, eating really healthy. So like Popeyes and Zaxby's <laughs> and Wendy's. Yeah, you got to snap back. Exactly. Well, fun fact, L. The owner of Shake Shack, Danny Myers, is from St. Louis. And when really? I got back, like the month that I got back, they opened a Shake Shack here and I frequented it. So really? I, so I've never had Shake Shack. Is it would you rate it better than Five Guys or where would you fall in line with that? I mean, Five Guys love you, but Shake Shack is unbelievable. Yeah? You absolutely have to go. You have to get a burger. You need to get the crinkle fries. And then the best part about Shake Shack is in the name is they have these shakes that are basically based on the region that you're in. So like here in St. Louis, one of the best food things that we're kind of known for is this cake called a gooey butter cake. Yes, it's as amazing as it sounds. Ooh. And they have a gooey butter cake shake. 
So I don't know what Connecticut's known for, but whatever it is, they'll um, have that type of shake there. Say, girl, they're known for steamed hamburgers. So good <laughs> God, I hope that they didn't try to make that into a shake. Yeah, let's hope not. Yikes. <laughs> um, okay, so we talked about the snack part of rap snacks, but I want to go back to the rap part. I know you started your career in music, and last night I was Googling you, which, by the way, is a weird thing to do for someone that you know, is to Google them. I felt creepy doing it. But I know you got your uh, career started in radio and in the music industry, and I read that you're a singer. And oh, that you also <laughs> perform. So I watch a lot of Bravo. I don't know if you do as well. Of course. Uh, do you watch Vanderpump Rules? Of course. Okay. So then I picture you doing like a La La style rollout <laughs> where you're having like a performance where you said you literally like came up with songs and performed it. Am I right there? Is this what happened? Uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was so awkward. I just like. Do you ever have, when you were younger, did you ever have a hobby that, you know, you were decent at and so other people kept telling you to make it more than what it was? No, I was a very average child. What were you? Okay. Well, damn. Um, so let me let me explain to you what it's like to be really talented, Michelle. Yeah, please, um, <laughs> please. I'll take notes. <laughs> so, no, I'm like, I was just a decent singer, like a chorus singer, and like I would sing around people and they just tried to force this on me and so I decided okay, I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do anyway with my career when I was 18. I just knew that I wanted to entertain people and I knew that I didn't want to have a desk job. So I was like, you know, cool, F it. Like, I'll be a singer because that sounds easy. <laughs> um, and so I did, like, these performances and they were so bad. Like, they were embarrassingly bad to the point where my mom couldn't even lie to me. Like, afterwards, like, my mom and dad would just be like, you were brave. I'm like, oh, God, that's terrible feedback. Like, they wouldn't even lie and say it was good. They were just like, way to attempt to live your dream um it was so bad i was awful i liked being in the studio and writing but i just wasn't any good at it so i just decided that i was gonna you know really pursue my um my true calling which was being a karaoke singer and then just like dazzling people at my house specifically in the bathroom where the echo makes you sound like whitney houston oh absolutely but okay we have to circle back on this were these original songs and if yes. they were what were the names oh i need to god. know the names of these songs oh my god okay so i had one called you gotta go and oh it was so bad if i remember frankly i think the chorus was like you can take a jet or a bus or a plane whatever it is it's all the same all i know is one things go that you you gotta gotta go it was awful i mean that is just a taste of why i was never rihanna i mean i'm really impressed it sounds like a 1999 brandy number one <laughs> single really, i mean like, it really does yeah it was it was so like 2001 like a mix of like brandy and you know i thought maybe i could like dazzle him with some amory at the time i mean i'm really dating myself um no, a dash like of ali remember all day long, I dream of you. Remember oh that? my God, yes. That's kind of what that reminds me of. But because she had the Will Smith platform, she became a one-hit wonder. That could have been you. Yeah, if I would have just known the right person, I would have been able to be right up there with tub thumping, you know, <laughs> for just that one thing. So did you have backup dancers? Did Were you like... I did. Oh my God. So you had girl, whole routines girl, and actual whole, original songs. Michelle, I had a whole routine. I had backup dancers, choreography. I had this outfit. Like I remember specifically this one outfit. It was a fringed suede brown vest okay with jeans and then these like they weren't like cowboy boots but they were kind of knee-high over-the-knee boots or whatever um big old curls and uh and like turquoise earrings i mean i don't know what the hell it was like a mix of trying to like do like a selena slash like rodeo you know hoe i don't really know what it was exactly um it was it was awful and the whole time i remember i'm performing and i'm thinking the whole time like did I do enough sit-ups? Like, 
is my, because you could see a little peak of my belly, and I was like, is my belly hanging out? So that was distracting. Um, <laughs> the fact that I was off key the whole time was really distracting. And then the choreography, and then like, you know, that whole notion that when you're on stage, like it's so bright up there, you can't see anyone's face. Well, that was not the case at the Chili Pepper Club in Atlanta. I could see everyone's face. I could see the judgment. I could see the eye rolls. I could see the snickers. And so by the end of it, I mean, I was I was so off that I just, you know, I didn't want to do the second song. I was only slated to do two songs, and that was a Herculean effort for me. And I got up out of there as quick as I could. It was truly, it was truly embarrassing. Well, I'm proud of you for pursuing your dreams, and I think there's something there. Maybe, you know, once you get out of sports broadcasting if you ever do or maybe your daughter who's gonna grow up can be, yeah. be the pop star we all need girl we can just like bumping a pop star i am so happy being that girl who sings in like a hotel lounge <laughs> and it doesn't even have to be a fancy one like if holiday inn decides that they want to do like a series of hotel lounge events i am happy to stand next to the front desk and just serenade people like that would be fine with me well let me know when you go and i'll be the one to get a little overserved in the background and be like oh duncan's amazing <laughs> you can sing baby girl you got this totally oh well i'll be your hype girl and speaking of i remember one time when i was in bristol and you were uh, co-hosting with ryan Rossillo. you told us the story of how once you got into radio that one of the gigs that you did is that you were a club hype girl right I was. I was a DJ. Yeah. Like, I was the girl that would be like, you know, like, whenever they'd have, like, a musical break, and you'd be like, where my girls have to pay their own bills? Put your hands up. Put your hands up. Like, that was literally me for about five years. Five years? Yeah. So is yeah. this, like, you know, I, in my mind, I think Atlanta Club saying that it's wild. There's, like, great music and rap artists that always come out of Atlanta. Were there performances there, or was this, like, strictly DJ-type stuff? I mean, I remember I hosted a party and um, Beyonce showed up, Stop not it. because it, I was hosting the party, but because they paid her $200,000 to do a walkthrough. Um, <laughs> Wait, just to walk through the club? Correct. So what a walkthrough is at a club is that it is essentially all you have to do is come in, take some pictures like with the club as a background, essentially, and um, stay for one drink or one song, like just long enough so that the DJ can be like, Beyonce's in the building. And then you can leave. So you are obligated to stay around 10 to 15 minutes. That's what they call a walkthrough. And Beyonce at the time, keep in mind, like she doesn't even do walkthroughs anymore, I doubt. But at the time, um, this was just after Single Ladies. Uh, it was about $200,000. And she's so specific on what her what she needed to protect herself from the crowd that this club actually rebuilt their VIP lounge just for her. They knew about six or seven weeks ahead of time that they were going to have her through the club. So they reconfigured the entire VIP, built different walls, put new kind of glass up, and built a new VIP booth specifically for Beyonce to stay 15 minutes. But guess what? They sold the club out, they made a ton of money, and they made back that $200,000 and then some um, that they paid her. And so, yeah, like it would be amazing. I'd be on the mic and like some of the biggest names, Jamie Foxx would be in the building or Kanye West would be there or Diddy would show up. And again, it was not because of me. It was because the promoters brought them there. Um, but it, it would always be like this incredible, you know, fun night. And I would be on the mic. And then when they would come in, I would, you know, be embarrassed. But I'd be the one to be like, Diddy's in the mother building. Put your hands up. And then like we'd play a Diddy song and everyone. It was just, you know, rinse and repeat every weekend. But you know what, Michelle? I got paid really good money to do it. It was all cash. Um, and it was my first kind of foray, foray into talking on the mic in front of people comfortably. As silly as it sounds, um, when you step out of your comfort zone and do something like 
be the hype man at a club. Um, sometimes like it makes you feel comfortable in the things that you feel more comfortable at. And I stepped out of my box and um, I think it helped me kind of, you know, shed whatever anxiety or fears I had speaking in front of people. Yeah, if you're shouting out Beyonce in front of a ton of drunk people <laughs> sitting on set with your friend on Sports Center seems mild in comparison, Hello. right? Hello, <laughs> exactly. Okay, so you're in the club scene. Beyonce obviously was there. Who was the coolest celebrity or celebrity moment that you had when you were the hype girl? Ooh, um, oh, so I had a birthday party at this club that I was like, you know, I was kind of hosting slash they threw me a birthday party and they kept telling me, one of the promoters kept telling me that he had like a special surprise for me, had a special guest for me. Um you know, that was there for my birthday that they brought for my birthday. And it was common. And I was like, whoa, I thought that was really dope. I mean, common came and we, you know, he, he brought out the cake and like, <laughs> we, I got a chance to like hang out with common in the, in the uh, VIP room, who is such a nice guy, by the way. Um, so that was really cool just because, you know, I just felt really special um, having something. I was always a part of trying to make other people's nights special as I should be, you know, it was about, I essentially worked for the club. So it was like, you're having this big night. Let's celebrate your album release or let's celebrate your, let's celebrate your, you know, your, that you just hit platinum or let's celebrate whatever, you know, milestone, your Grammy award winning, whatever. And so to have someone like common come specifically for my birthday, obviously he got paid and he didn't do it out of the, <laughs> uh, you know, out of his, the goodness of his heart. But um, I just thought that was really cool. And like a kind of a fun moment of someone turning the tables on me and being like, you're appreciated too for what you do. And so, here, take a picture with Common and let him give you some cake. Um, I would say that was awesome. And it's not like some guy that finished fifth on American Idol. It's Common that yeah, they brought right? for you. That's insane. Yeah, it was pretty fun. So you're in Atlanta. You're obviously like in the middle of it all. Entertainment, loving life, doing really well. Did you always want to get into sports or were you happy just being in entertainment? No, I always wanted to get into sports. And honestly, I got I fell into the entertainment side of things. It was not um, what my initial goal was. My initial goal was just to get whatever job that I could out of college. And that job ended up being um, in sports hip hop radio in Atlanta. But I used that uh, specific kind of platform to make connections with people at the Hawks. So I started working for them and then I would use that connection to make. So the, the, the goal was always to do sports. I just needed to do something while I was to pay my bills. And, um, I think one of the issues, though, is that you can fall into a trap, Michelle. I mean, I had dropped out of high or college, rather, dropped out of college as a broadcasting major to get a job in radio. And I just got in a really comfortable position. I mean, I'm making six figures. I have no college degree. I'm hanging out at parties. I'm, you know, doing a radio show and just getting to talk ish. And, you know, I'm showing up at a Publix grocery store and getting six, seven hundred bucks to like sign autographs and take pictures. I got so incredibly comfort, comfortable. And what was initially a three or four year plan to do radio and then try to move exclusively into sports turned into me doing it for eight years. And it was I was so fortunate that a series of, of you know, circumstances led to them laying me off, not picking up my contract and I was devastated because I thought, what am I going to do? Like I had had this comfortable life and this comfortable living and I was really nervous and scared to take that next step. I was kind of dabbling in sports and I was doing it part time and I enjoyed that because it tickled my sports bone. But I was really afraid to commit full time to sports because I didn't know if I was good enough to do it. And um, so them kind of pushing me out and saying, this part of your life is done and over with. Now figure out what to do. You're 30. Um was a huge kind of changing point for me in my career. And that's when I really doubled down and focused. I said, you know, bump the comfortability that comes with making a lot of money, um, you know, bump staying in your neighborhood, 
being a neighborhood superstar and staying in your community where you're loved and people give you free stuff, like go out on a limb. And that's exactly what I did. So I moved to Boston where I didn't know a soul. You know, I went from the blackest city in America to like probably the whitest and freezing cold and where sports was a way of life and they would hold you accountable. And I wanted to test myself. And that's why I went to Boston. And then um, subsequently, Boston is why I got to ESPN. So, uh, you know, the ultimate goal was always sports. It took me a little bit of a detour to get there, but I eventually did. Was When you went to Boston from Atlanta, how big of a culture shock was that oh for my you? God. <laughs> like, I remember my, he was my boyfriend at the time, now my husband, um, and we would play, like, count the black people that we saw that day or just, like, count anyone of of color. And we, like, I think the highest number in my first year that we got there was, like, six. <laughs> so it was just, it was a culture shock because, again, it was not exactly diverse. It was really, really cold. Public transportation. Like, Michelle, in Atlanta... And this is just the truth. If you ride public transportation, it's because you're just like you don't have enough money to have a car. <laughs> right. It's not a thing anyone does. No one takes public transpo. So moving to a place where you see like executives on the subway, I was like, what is this? Um, and again, where sports were really important and just everything about Boston couldn't be more counter to everything that Atlanta is, how spread out it is, how big it is, how congested it is all the time, how much traffic there is and how much diversity there is. None of those things were the same. And let's be honest, like Southern people, not saying that they're not mean, but they're just very passive aggressive. So they're nice, you know, like for the most part. Um, And Boston people will just tell it like it is. And they'll honk at you if you're in the way and tell you to move. And they're very straightforward. And so it was it was it was about as different as I had ever experienced in my life. Yeah. Coming from St. Louis to Bristol, that was the one thing that people warned me about, you know, because in the Midwest, everyone's friendly. Like you're walking your dog. People are like, hello, good yeah. morning. Hi. How are you? Right. And um, people warned me. They're like, it's going to be tough for you because there's this thing called the New England deep freeze. And I'm like, what is that? And they're like, there's just something about New England that's a little cold. People are a little cold to you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, whatever. I'm sure it'll be fine. I remember I moved into my building day one, getting ready to go to rookie camp at ESPN and get in the elevator or someone comes in I'm like hi how are you good morning and this person looked at me as if he was going to murder me yeah he was just like why are you speaking to me get away we had a joke when we first moved to Boston same thing we got in an elevator and the elevator door opened and me and my husband looked at the girl and goes hi and she she literally went like this (sighs) hi I was like oh my well I'm so sorry that we inconvenienced you so much that you had to say hello to a stranger. And that's, you're absolutely right. Like, that's what it is. It's just like, why are you speaking to me? I don't know. You go away. But I find that with most New Englanders, the deep freeze is kind of like a frozen pond. Once you crack it and get through, oh yeah, they're great. Oh, they're fantastic people. But that's the point is that you have to have the opportunity to get through that. And it can be off-putting to the point where you close up too, right? So you just stop. And I found myself doing the same thing. I don't know about you, but I found myself also you know, kind of imitating what they did. And when I would catch eyes with someone looking away or not saying, and I was like, that is not you. Like if nobody waves at you and if no one says hello, so what? That's who you are. And you say hello and you try to speak to strangers and eventually you'll crack a nut. And I did. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure you got this too. When I first got to Bristol, everyone was like, what's your deal? You're so nice. I'm like, I'm not even that nice. Like (laughs) my friends don't think I'm that nice. Like if you guys think I'm nice, you have no idea what the Midwest is like. You're like, I'm the mean one out of my group. Yeah. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Okay, so was ESPN always the goal from you? Like, in L. Duncan's mind, what is the dream job, and do you have it? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that saying things like the dream job can be really dangerous because we kind of lose sight of 
of how hard it has been to get to where we are. And I think sometimes, you know, we can't see the forest through the trees. So my dream was always to, here was my dream job, Michelle, to get a chance to be myself. My dream job was always have an opportunity to get to be myself and enjoy what I was doing. Um, and that is 100% what I'm living right now. At specific to role, I mean, listen, there are days where I'm like, this is amazing. And then there are days where like, oh, I hate this. And I think that comes with any job. There's a cross to bear with anything that you do. Getting up at three in the morning, no matter if it's something cool like to talk about sports or not, is really hard and brutal. And there are times where I'm like, oh, my God, I just want to go get a nine to five because I'm tired of these hours and working holidays. Um, but the truth is, is that, yes, like ESPN has always been a goal. It has always been a place that I've looked at as like the penultimate of anyone's sports career. And I looked up to people at ESPN growing up and I look up to people that I still currently work with, which has been really cool. So I'll say that I am living my my dream job because I am living the kind of life I always imagined, one that is fulfilling. I want to be fulfilled and that's it. And the moment that I'm not fulfilled, whether that be in life or personally, I'll make a change because for me, that's more than, you know, job specific role. My goal in life is to consistently be fulfilled and to be happy and content with what I am doing and in the situation that I'm in. And right now I am super happy and content. And getting to outrun Aaron Judge on a treadmill in a This Is Sports Center commercial is a, a pretty good cherry on top of it, right? Bucket list. And as much as I want to hate the Yankees because of what they did to my Braves twice um, in the World Series, he was he could not have been any nicer of a guy. Honestly, he was so cool. And not cool in like a, hey, let me be fake to you because you're in the media. Like He was just salt of the earth, good kid, like such a champ, a trooper, um, really conversational. I really, really liked Aaron Judge, and I needed to because I sat next to him for two hours running on a treadmill, and it got to a point where I couldn't walk or breathe. So, Yeah, I mean, I, when I watch that, I go, isn't Elle Duncan pregnant? She's like out sprinting Aaron Judge on a treadmill. Yes, I was three and a half months pregnant, and I could not walk for days after, but I'll be damned if I was going to let that prevent me from like committing fully in a This Is Sports Center commercial because that's a bucket list thing. I mean... I grew up watching those, and in my mind, like, you've made it when you get to be in a This Is Sports Center commercial. So finding out that I was going to get a chance to be in one with not only him, but SVP, who was like, you know, again, like the gold standard and, and anchors, um, it was it was so it was so cool. And I'll get to, you know, one day show my little girl, like, you made your TV debut here. You were I was three months pregnant with you, and you were hanging out with this, we'll see, Hall of Famer back in the day, so... Yeah, pretty, cool. pr- pretty good resume builder for her. Exactly. Okay, yeah. so speaking of being pregnant, I wanted to close this out with this. So obviously I think you're the coolest and that you're going to be the coolest mom. <laughs> um, and all of my friends, like I mentioned earlier, are now, you know, having kids and, you know, all these terms that I never really knew before, like helicopter parent, authoritative parent, you know, uninvolved parent, like all these parenting types. Do you think about what type of parent you want to be? No, no, not even in the slightest bit. And I don't know if that's going to get me mommy shamed or not but no the approach that I'm trying to take is that I have my strengths and weaknesses and so does my husband and I've never really spent a significant time around children or babies I just never have been fortunate enough to but he has and so you know I'll lean on him for especially early on for a lot of um, the day-to-day the mechanics of being a parent how to change diapers what it means you know specifically how many times you have to feed a baby because I don't know any of these things Michelle like I honestly don't know I mean for me I'm just going to take it a day at a time like my first goal is just making sure like I understand her cries and how often I'm supposed to feed her and like how many times I'm supposed to check her because I literally am starting at at the you know ground like I'm I'm going to try to hit the ground running but I'm starting at the bottom I don't know 
anything about being a child. Um, but I do know what it is to have a great parent, have two great parents. And so I'm just going to rely and lean on them. And I do believe in kind of the corny, you know, adage that it takes a village. And, and that's the approach that I'm taking. But I think it's dangerous to, before you even have a child or before they take their first breath, to say, this is the kind of parent that I'm going to be. Because I think that that role changes consistently. The kind of parent that my mom is now is not the same kind of parent she was when I was younger. She's a friend now. I certainly will not be a friend to my child. Um, I think that's dang- it can be dangerous. Um, but I hope to be a confidant, you know, and I hope to be a lot of things for her. So, you know, I'm going to approach it the same way I approach most things in life, spontaneously and with absolutely um, no preparation. Well, I'm going to force you to think about it a little okay. because I want to play a game with you that okay. I've created called I'll Allow It or Not in My House. Yes. Of, of things that you may be confronted with in this new chapter of your life. Okay. Love it. Okay. So will you allow it or not in my house? Matching family shirts on vacation. Ooh. Oh, God. How old is the kid? Because, like, I'm not going to lie. I think when when they're, like, babies, I do think it's kind of adorable. So can we delineate, like, how old they are? Let's say three and above. No. I will not allow it. Okay. No. I will not allow it. No. Okay. Speaking of vacation, leashes for your child. No. Oh, my God. This is – there's so much controversy with the leash. Um, I used to judge so hard people that had put their kid on a leash – and there's times now just being around little kids where I'm like, yo, I could totally see why I could put a leash on them and possibly a <laughs> muzzle. Here's what I'm going to I'm going to for now, Michelle, I'm going to go with I will not allow it. And then I'll circle back in a year or two. And we'll exactly. Say. Talk to me after they start walking. OK, will your baby have its own hashtag or its own Instagram page? I'd allow it. You allow it. Okay. I will. No, I will not allow. Well, now it. I was going to say not. that one surprises me. I no. can't see you being like hashtag. No, nope. you know. absolutely not. I barely like to do that stuff. No way. And my husband, there is absolutely no way. He's not even on any social media. There's no way my baby's getting her own page. Love it. Okay, allow it or not in my house for your child to say LeBron is better than Jordan. Ooh. You know what? Be- especially because of like the generation, like how she's going to grow up. I'm going to allow it. I'm going to allow it. I'm going to allow it because all she's going to do, Michelle, is think that I'm one of those get off my lawn guys. If I don't allow it, she's going to be like, you don't understand the greatness of LeBron. She will have never seen Michael Jordan. Um, So I'll allow it. Okay, that's good. Um, What about allow it or not in my house? Stick figure family bumper stickers. (laughs) Not in my house. Not in my house. No. (laughs) No. I couldn't see that. Okay. How about reality TV or or specifically Kardashians? Ooh, uh, no, not in my house. I don't watch the Kardashians. I have not ever seen one full episode of it. Not ever. I was going to, I said reality TV, but then we had already discussed our love for Bravo. So I had to hone it in more specifically. I was going to say exactly because I do love reality TV. In fact, my guilty pleasure is 90 Day Fiance. I think it's one of the greatest TV shows that people don't watch in the history of reality shows. Um, But specific to the Kardashians, not in my house. Not in your house. Okay. Last one. Allow it. Not in my house. Your child wants to go to Florida. Ooh, that's really tough. As a noted Georgia alum, we're a Georgia fan. You know what? I don't, like, I'm not going to force however I feel on my child, so I'd like to believe that I will allow it. You know, if she gets a great opportunity and she wants to go to Florida, like, who am I to say you don't get to go there because I don't like gators? Like, I'll allow it. Also, then you can go to the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Are we not calling it that anymore? And why not? They try not to call it that anymore. They say it's not PC, but that's obviously what it is. I mean, what is it? What what would they rather call it? A gathering of drunks? I mean, it is what it is. It is the world's biggest. I will say this, Michelle. 
trying to go to Alabama, I will not allow that. Not in my house. Not happening. Not after what happened this year. No. Nope. Can't do it. Done with that. Awesome. Well, Elle, you are the absolute best. Thank you so much for doing this. Everyone, watch Elle on SportsCenter. Check out SportsCenter on Snapchat. She's on the Wilkane Show. She's everywhere. Follow her on Twitter. Make sure to check her out. And thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you so much for your support for Episode 1. The response we got was amazing. And again, for those who don't know, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. If you head there, subscribe, rate us, review it. It would be great. Or you can always find us on the Podcast One app. Thanks for listening to Small Talk. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One app.